All right, we are live on Facebook. Welcome everyone to Journey Live. How's everyone doing? Everyone doing okay over there? Jeremy, what are you up to? I I, uh, I think we are live. We're at, without Dustin Anderson right now, so he kind of puts everything together all the time. But uh, I think we are live. It looks like we are. So I'm just grateful to be alive today, bro. I know. I know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, uh, I guess, just two of us here. Uh, J-Rod's out of town, and Dustin's doing the fantasy draft, so he's uh, can't make it. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of like an intimate panel that we've got going on here. I like it. It's just like a you know fine dining with you so yeah great jeremy's on his uh nice deck there he had a new deck built yeah you might be able to see the chickens uh if i lower the screen a little bit i know uh last week there were some chickens running around so you never know nothing around now uh yeah they're outside uh our dog penny is is now uh she's smaller than the chickens so i don't think she's gonna kill them but you got chickens right yeah, they get big, and I mean, our cats are afraid of them, you know. So, <laughs> I mean, they're kind of intimidating if you're not really used to them. Even people are, you know, I like to, I can hand feed my chickens, but I know some people, they're they're like afraid, you know, they think like they're going to like get hurt by them because they're pretty much like miniature raptors, you know, they're yeah. like close to the dinosaurs. It's it's pretty crazy to see them. I mean, if if you've got any advice, if you're in the chat tonight about chickens and raising chickens, give us give us all you've got because these things are they do look like uh, dinosaurs a bit. But uh, we're gonna have fun tonight, right? Yeah, yeah. you get married in how many days? Have you started the, the countdown yet? I don't know. It's been I, mean, I think it's like 21 days, and man, it's stressful. You know, <laughs> I'm doing such a tiny wedding just for family because of COVID reasons and. But it's stressful. Our honeymoon and everything. It's like, yeah, like I can see why people like just want to get it over with, you know. <laughs> get get the wedding over with, or yeah, get the know? wedding over with. I'm happy, but it's a it's a process, you know. It's definitely everyone in the chat wants to know where you're going on the honeymoon, so they can book book rooms and book places alongside. Oh you. well, we we have. Uh, are they really asking that? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, we're actually uh, we're doing this road trip. We're uh, we're going to start. We're going to hopefully we're going to end up in Glacier National Park, so in Montana, and we're going to come back down through Washington through kind of the coast. So nice. yeah, just be praying for us. You know, we'll be praying for those rider people, and hopefully things are not too crazy out in Seattle and out in um, Eugene or Portland area. Yeah, that'll be awesome, man. Yeah, it's, I'm actually kind of more worried about the people than the bears because there's grizzly <laughs> bears up there. Um, I'm gonna have to buy some uh, bear pepper spray because, uh, yeah, there's a grizzly bear attack is not good. Yeah, I mean, last year um, I, I went to Alaska with my brother-in-laws. They're actually there right now with my father-in-law. Uh, they're out uh, slaying salmon again, but uh, you know I couldn't because we got this new baby girl. But uh, I remember uh, just thinking like, well, maybe if I want to go for a run or something like that, my father-in-law said like, well, yeah, you'll need to, you know, bear repellent. And like Tara, my wife, she thought it was like some, uh, you know, just bug repellent you spray on. It's like, no, it's like a full on like cannon of just like, it's like pepper spray on, on steroids, I guess. So it's no joke. Those bears. Yeah. Are, uh... yeah the, a bear, it's, it's usually when you surprise a bear, right? Or a, a mother and a cub, but. 
I, I forget. There's there's some uh, videos of bears running. It is absolutely terrifying how fast they can run. I heard about this one video. Last thing I'll say before we get, get into it. There's like some video, I think, that just went viral last week of a black bear, I think it was, like sniffing some girls who were just like standing. It looked like they were standing by a, a bus stop and the, the bear is just like going like right up to them and ends up just like scratching one of them or something like it was just a, a wild video i don't know if you guys have seen that video here in the chat if you have more credible information than i do about it have you seen that you haven't seen that video i i, I haven't seen that video yet i mean it's just weird we don't live with a lot of wildlife here but in other places there's bears and uh, all sorts of things you know on their property yeah most we get i get is like maybe a raccoon or um, what are those? What are those? Those things that hiss at you? Uh, possums. Yeah, possums. You get some possums, squirrels, things like that. But anyway, it's not enough with animals, <laughs> which I think is super cool. You know, I want to see a mountain goat, and I'm gonna see all that stuff when I'm when I'm up there. But uh, uh, yeah, what's going on with your world in the chat? We got a few people on, and yeah, let us know what's going on, everybody. Uh, people are praying for you, dude, because they know you're getting married, so. Oh yes, I definitely need your prayer just to stay calm and and uh, do all that the planning. Brenda said, uh, "Sounds beautiful." I think she was talking about our conversation about the bears or something, or or your honeymoon plans. Bear I don't spray. know if one of the above. Yeah, bear spray honeymoon. It's not like uh, Hawaii, I guess, where most people go, where the most dangerous thing is mosquitoes <laughs> yeah. or the cockroaches. Don't they have like gigantic cockroaches there? Hawaii. They're huge. Here we are again talking about animals and insects. Yeah. And stuff. We should probably. Uh... All right. Well, I want to start off um, kind of with the story. It's, it's a kind of a joke, and so don't take it too seriously. But I heard this, and I wanted to share it with you guys. It's going to relate to tonight. But there were three Christian men. They were headed to a conference, and they were friends, and they they went to different churches. Uh, it was dark, and the road was foggy, and they didn't see the pileup ahead of them. And when they saw the, the mass of wreckage, it was too late to slow down. And they crashed head on into this pile and they were instantly killed. They were instantly transported to hell and they began to cry out in horror. After some time, the reality sank in of their grave situation. And they began to discuss among themselves and talk among themselves how they might have got there, right? Because, I mean, these were three men that they were... Uh, headed to a conference, and they were just confused. They're like, what what happened? Let's let's try to figure this out. Um, they started talking among themselves, and the first one, he he began, and he started discussing, and he was saying, well, you know, I'm a Calvinist, so I believe in predestination, and it has become apparent to me that I was a chosen to be a vessel of wrath, and I didn't make God's A-list. So that's probably why I'm in hell, right? Despite my best efforts, I just didn't, I just wasn't chosen. The second man who held to the Armenian view, which is like the exact opposite of Calvinist, uh, said to the others, well, I know how I got here. It, it is as plain as day to me. You see, yesterday night, I sinned against the Lord and backslid into some old ways. Because I sinned willingly, I have fallen from grace, and now the Lord has punished me by sending me here. Lastly, the third man, who was a charismatic, shouted aloud, I declare by faith that I'm not in this place. I hope you guys don't take this story literally. 
But it's just meant to be a, a funny picture how even as Christians, we have different views and we respond differently to trials and hardships, right? Some Christians believe that every trial or all suffering is sent from God. And so there's really nothing to do other than just to endure it, to, to grow from it, and to just simply accept it as a fact. Others may believe that the trials or the things that they suffer were brought upon uh, by themselves, right? Largely because of them, uh, because of maybe mistakes they've made in life or life choices. And finally, there's some uh, Christians that even flat out deny that there's even a trial at all, right? Some people believe like, well, you know, even though the doctor might have diagnosed cancer or a severe illness, they'll just deny the fact that they have that, right? And just believe by faith that um, that they don't have it. So it's kind of interesting, and I hope that tonight we can maybe talk about some ways we respond to sorrow, and we would love to hear from uh, you all just about that, because I think it's it's just an, I want to learn, right? Even for me, just learning how to, how to go about life and deal with these things, because this is something that we all uh, face in life, right? We all face loss. We all face maybe losing a job, losing uh, a significant person in our life going through suffering, going through pain, emotional pain, depression, things like that. And I think it would be good for us to, to talk about these things and, and how we can do that. And we're going to go through um, Psalm 13, which is a psalm of lament. Jeremy's going to open that up and, and talk about that uh, late, later. But let's get into our uh, passage tonight. We'll read the whole thing, and then we'll kind of break it down. I'll share this for everyone. I know some people are still logging on, but all right. All right. Here we go. It says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying, we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. So uh, a quick word here about the, the Psalms of of lament. This is obviously a, a sad story going on here, but uh, first of all, the Psalms uh, in general, they teach us that profound change, it always happens in the presence of God. And, and what do we see at the very beginning of this Psalm, the first expression? It, it begins, oh Lord. From, from the very first expression, we anticipate hope because people who pray to God are people who are living in hope. But, you know, the thing about hope is that Hope is not just for good days. You don't just hope because your life is good. Hope is is really important on bad days too. That these psalms of lament, these songs and cries and moans and groans of, of pain and sadness, it actually accounts for some like a seventy percent of the psalms in the Bible. And I, I think that just goes to show how how hard life is and, and can be. And uh, people may ask, well, why, why all these sad stories? Why are these sad words in, in the Bible, especially when it comes to the Psalms? 
But there's an important thing that happens when you lament. You're actually asking God to create the conditions where it will be possible for you to offer praise again. And the neat thing about Psalms, like what will, what are laments, what we're going to be exploring tonight in Psalm 13, is that laments regularly trace a complaint back to confidence in God from desperation to praise. But the crazy part is that they do this without ever telling us the external situation, you know, the conflict or the, the, the trial, the difficulty, without ever telling us that the external situation has changed for the better. So in the situation in Psalm 13, we wonder at the beginning, if this is written by David, we wonder why is David in despair? You know, Jeff and I were talking earlier about you know, some people think that David is just a crybaby because of all of these psalms. Yeah, crying out to God, right? Yeah, a lot of people they they just are like, man, David is why is he always just whining and crying? Like, is he a ba- you know, is he just like this, uh, you know, crybaby? What's going on? But I don't think a lot of a lot of people understand like what exactly was happening when he was writing these things. If you want to talk about that, yeah, I mean, you you and I were talking about how it's like he, he's fleeing for his life. He, he's a fugitive of the state. He doesn't know like who to trust and where to go. He doesn't have a, a place to lay his head at night. He's on the run, run constantly from King Saul. He's, he's hunted down like, like an animal and the stress level has just got to be like through, through the roof, you know? So yeah, I was reading something about how one of the, the, the biggest stress you could have in life is actually uh, serving in combat or being in a combat situation. And, Thinking about him, he was definitely in that, right, where he was being pursued by Saul and an army of uh, pretty much assassins that wanted to go after him, wanted to kill him, or even people in towns who, who would betray him and things like that. And this was happening not just for a tour, which lasted a couple months or a few years. This happened for a solid over 10 years, a decade, to where he was just fleeing and running. And I just can't imagine that, right, being like, oh. hey, like, you know, is this person a friend or a foe or who, who is this, uh, or when is my, my last breath going to be? He's hiding out in caves. He's acting like a madman, uh, to, to, to protect himself. Really, really difficult. I can't imagine that. No, no, I can't imagine that at all. And, and, uh, but I kind of want to transition a little bit from that because, you know, we're not living in caves. We're not running away. We have very different kind of stressors in our, in our modern world today, some of them very similar, but I'd like to know kind of um, for our listeners, uh, what was the most stressful event in your life and how you deal with it? And and Jeremy and I are going to answer this question too, but if you as our listeners want to uh, put a brief statement, that could be great also. I want to learn how people deal with that. Um, Jeremy, what about you? What was probably the most stressful event in your life or even something recently? And how did you deal with that stress? Yeah, I mean, I think growing up there was the the stress of my parents' divorce. They got divorced when I was seven years old, and it was a, just a groundbreaking situation because it feels like the foundation of, of everything you know to be solid and true, it, whatever. It just gets like ripped out and crumbled beneath you, and your world just just changes. It's a huge stressor. I think about you know more recently, uh, I've shared a lot about uh, Zeke's experience in the NICU. He was a premature baby born at uh, 33 weeks. And we spent 63 days, nine whole weeks in the, the NICU, the neo, neonatal intensive care unit. 
And it was a, a trial, uh, an ordeal. So divorce was a lot about change, but Zeke's prematurity, it was just a situation out of our hands. Uh, an interesting thing is, uh, I know some of you guys know, I, I've been dealing with like skin rashes and, and different types of maybe some skin allergies and all this stuff. And so I'm, I'm going to go to a new doctor here in a couple of days and uh, they had me fill out a ton of information. And one of them was like a stress index test. And I have it here. And I think it was pretty interesting. All of the, the factors that I had to fill out, like what are some like stressful things that you've experienced in your life, maybe in your past, uh, like the death of a spouse or physical or sexual abuse, divorce, marital separation, jail term, all of these things. And I, I added them up and you get like different, different points for like different things you've, you've had to, to go with. My total point value with like divorce and uh, change in health of a family member or someone dies, whatever it was, my total point value was 620. And uh, the chart ends at like 350. So it was like, if I look at my life, it was a lot of stress. But then if I look at my present total with a, a newborn and all of that and a two and a half year old at home, it was only 218. So that's about like halfway on the chart. But I, I think like, stress is a huge indicator. And what's interesting is, is how to um, define stress. I know I'm talking a lot, but uh, this is the last thing I'll say. I had to define like in my mind, what, what is stress? And I wrote this down. Uh, it's the compounding of frustration because of irreversible circumstances or just plain old difficulty mm -hmm. and demands, you know, and I, I don't know that was late at night when I wrote that down. It sounds pretty good right now. I'm not to toot my own horn, but it's just like those irreversible circumstances that cause a lot of stress in our lives. I think. You yeah, thought yeah. yeah. Like that feeling of just helplessness or feeling like, man, I can't control these circumstances. I'm sure. Um, I'm sure even when you're younger, just the divorce, just feeling like I can't do anything that, that feeling of helplessness. I can't do anything to control this. I can't change my dad. I can't. Yeah. And, and even like, I'm sure you pray and like, God, how can, you know, why did this happen? And just that whole sort of trying to understand uh, yeah. life. And that's a, that's a very, very stressful thing for a lot of people. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. Like, did you blame God or blame your, I know some people blame themselves for that. Mm -hmm. How did that go with that? I don't know. I was, I was pretty young. I was seven years old when it all kind of happened, but it was all throughout and so there it was just difficult i don't know i i didn't really place blame probably probably blame on parents or whatever but uh um, do you want to hear what's, what's in the chat and then i'll we can yeah. talk about yeah you know, i'd love to hear what yeah i'd love to hear what people have to say because um, i know you've got a lot to to add to this but um let's see what uh jim was saying that his comfort this is before our, our our talk about the stressful event but i think it was interesting he said it's comforting for us if we just accept our situation is completely in God's hands, easy, easier, hard. Uh, I think that's true. Uh, Sylvia talks about divorce and the effects it had on her kids it was a, a huge stressor in her life. Uh, Jim also said my divorce, um, Raquel, this is, this is quite the story here. Her house burnt down and they had to move out of Mexico and start going to middle school in the U S it's quite a, quite a change. That's definitely on the, the stress index level here. She said she didn't know uh, she had to deal with all of this stuff at the time because she was only 13. Ended up dealing with it a lot later in, in life, though. So crazy, you know, stressful type of, of events. How about you? 
Uh, for me, I mean, one thing my family, like like talking about Raquel, was that my brother, he lost his house, and that was super stressful. But Just recently? like Yeah, just recently, and just seeing that, and, and even feeling that for them, it, 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 it really affected me, and just, that was, like, very devastating for our family. Uh, just because, like, I think what it was is because a, a lot of people, or I don't know if a lot of people know, I can't come from a very broken home, you know, divorce, my dad was... A, alcoholic he was abusive um just you name it he was kind of a rageaholic he died when i was 16 and all that you know i had all that stress but then um after maybe like 10 or so years there was a time uh, when i was like 25 26 27 that our family started kind of coming back together and that was kind of the focal point for my family is this you know my brother lived up north and would visit there for holidays and things like that and it just was starting to be a really fun thing for our family and fun thing for me. And just like, wow, we feel like a family again, you know, because when you go through divorce or go through these things, it's like it fractures the family and you almost like lose a lot of those traditions and things and, and semblance of normality. But it started feeling normal again. So when the fire hit, it just really was heartbroken because like, wow, like, you know, we, we've kind of lost that again or our family's fractured again and it was really super hard and didn't really understand it and and I'm I'm sure a lot of people in California yeah that lost their homes lost these things it's just it's super super tough because I heard stress defined as this stress can be any kind of change that happens mm -hmm. yeah. right even a good thing even if you got like had to quit your job I know some people like uh they got a new job right that can be stressful even if it's a you got a pay raise and it's a better job well you're in a new environment yeah. Uh, any kind of change whatsoever. And so I know a lot of people are, are stressed even now having to adapt and live differently because of COVID and whatnot. So for sure. I mean, on this chart right here, it says like vacation can be a stressor, you know, I, and you know, if you've ever been on vacation, you know how, how challenging that could be. Our, our uh, friend Jeff, Jeff Rodriguez, he, he goes usually on two vacations uh during the summer he goes up one week with uh with the whole family with with liz and the girls and then he and liz go and like recover uh on another vacation another week later on um i'll just say the last one and then then we can get moving on there uh brenda shared that her her dad died when she was 13 and a half years old and she did blame god became very angry went back to god though at uh 15 years old but uh man the, the devastation and stress that that can cause yeah. And I want to bring it up because one of the best ways of, of uh, dealing with stress is actually community and people. Like there is something to being around people and, and getting joy from people and, and being able to lean on, on one another when we're going through hard times. And that's just like, that's just something that's kind of been hard for me too, of like not being able to meet in person with everyone. Just like, there's just something like we get something even releasing, like, I think, I don't know if it releases dopamine or something, just being around people, yeah. it releases those positive feelings, those good feelings. And because stress just compounds itself when we're, when we're on our own, when we're, when we're by ourselves, and it just builds up in our mind so much. And it's not shared, but I want to kind of move on. And, and I don't know if this is, um, this is something I thought of, but I really believe that how we choose to respond to pain, how we choose to respond to suffering or stress will decide the outcome of our lives more than anything else. I, I really believe that, that how we respond to those things, because frankly, no one is exempt from suffering. Like nobody. I don't know anybody that hasn't 
had an ordeal or something that they've gone through. And I really believe that it's really going to either break us or make us in our Christian walk, right? This is like, it's going to turn you bitter or it's going to turn you more hopeful. And I'm just so uh, surprised even when I talk to people, people that are even very joyful in our church. And then you realize they've like lost a child or they are, they've gone through really hard. And you're like, man, like, how is this person even functional? Like, how are they even joyful? But it is possible. But I really believe, uh, how we respond to these things largely depends on uh, what I like to call powerful or powerless thinking. Uh, most people today don't know that they can be a powerful person um, or that they should even be someone like that. Uh, many people, they don't even have parents to teach them to be responsible for their choices, right? A lot of people are growing up in single parent homes and they're not being taught to to be responsible for their choices. Um, even our school and societies, um, they train people at a young age that someone should be responsible uh, for their decisions or that they need other people to protect them or other people to make them happy or manage their lives. And this results in, in powerless thinking. I was even listening to a finance guy and he was just talking about like really our whole school system, our whole mentality, like go to school, get a degree so that you can work at a high paying job for a Fortune 500 company. Right. Like they're just kind of it's just kind of ingrained into people of like, hey, like, don't take the risk of being a small business owner. Don't take the risk of being an entrepreneur. Don't take those risks. Just go out and get that safe push job in a Fortune 500 Fortune 500 company that has all the benefits, has all that thing. So in a way, we're kind of teaching people like, hey, like, you know, the world's scary. You know, you're not going to make it on your own. You have to have, um, you know, work for a large company or or whatnot like that. So it's just interesting how our society and how people are, are, um, how that's like being ingrained in us, right? That you, we, you have to keep going to school too, right? Like I remember yeah. when we were in, we were in, in high school and then it was like, oh, you go to college because that's a natural progression. Well, now everyone goes to grad school. And then when you try to apply for a job, you need like 10 years of experience and graduate level education. So it's like, how do you, how do you have both? I think that's what you're also getting at too, rather than the risk taking. Yeah, the risk taking. He he really talked a lot about taking risk. And I just, you know, for a lot of people, we're risk averse. You know, we don't want to take risk. But in a lot of ways, it's, that's where some of the biggest rewards are, is mm-hmm. taking those risks and dealing with that stress. But a lot of people, we don't, you know, we don't necessarily want to do, at least for me, I don't want to speak for all people, but at yeah, least, really? yeah, at least, <laughs> Go ahead. At, at least for <laughs> me, you know, but um. But on the other hand, you know, powerful people are people that take responsibility for their lives and choices. They they choose what they're going to pursue in life and how they're going to go after it. Things don't just happen to powerful people. They happen to things. Right. And this is more than my our mind over matter. This is not just picking yourself up by your bootstraps. I really believe that this is something that uh, God and people can can teach us how to do that. I know. I know for me, and I'm talking for a long time, but one of the things that the Holy Spirit has been really telling me is to really become my own man, right? Because if you think about this, like when you were young, Jeremy, how many choices did you really get to make on your own? Think about it. Probably not a lot. I mean, just small choices, right? Like you learn, like you finally get to, I don't know, what I'm going to eat maybe at some point. Um, what you're going to wear, like those, those small decisions, right? Yeah, we get small decisions, but we don't really get to choose where we live. Sometimes we don't get to choose what, where we're going to go to school, what we're going to eat for dinner, right? You better eat your peas. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, sometimes the clothes, right? We have to, you wear clothes that your parents can afford and you don't get to wear those designer jeans that your friends are wearing or whatnot. Dude, I had to, I had to have clothes for my mom's house and dad's house. Yeah. It was just ridiculous, you know, to like not have that, I don't know, simplicity or freedom or whatever it was. Yeah, that's crazy. It's two wardrobes, man. I, they weren't wardrobes, but it was, yeah. <laughs> First you world problem, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so what I'm saying is like, you know, I realize when you're younger, we don't get, you don't get a lot of choices, but all of a sudden when you're an adult, now you just say you're faced with all these choices. I remember graduating college and it's like, man, like, what do I do? You know, like before it was just take these classes, go to school, work part time. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, what do I do? What what job or career path do I choose? What what clothes do I buy? Right. Having to buy clothes for yourself and thinking like, well, where do I go? Do I go to Kmart? Do I go to Sears or Ross? Maybe. Ross? Yeah. I go to TJ Maxx. I don't know if anybody. I, that's a little too high class for me. Yeah. TJ Maxx, man. Or, or actually Marshall's is my place. The one in Thousand Oaks or, or recently the thrift store. I like the thrift, but, yeah. but I just, it's just dawning on me that we get to be responsible for our life and our choices. And that might be scary at first, but I believe that's what God is trying to teach David in these formative years, these wilderness years in his life to teach him how to be a powerful because one day he was going to be a king. And if he's like this weak king, if he's somebody that just is afraid or is indecisive, like that's going to affect not just him, it's going to affect the entire nation. So God is trying to like, you know, teach David how to be this powerful thinker, how to be this powerful person, right? Not to be wavering, not to be uh, weak, to be someone that can like uh, take charge and to lead. But let's... uh kind of go back into the passage and we're going to look at ways that he was acting powerless because I want to dissect this. I want to go back to our scripture real quick. We'll go through Psalm 13, 1 through 4 here. It says, Oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? It sounds very powerless. Yeah, for sure. Turn and answer me, O Lord, my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Wow. So let's take a look then. How is how is David acting powerless? Like, what is it like? Kind of like translate what he's saying and what is he in a sense saying here? Well, I mean, he's he's helpless, right? He's he feels forgotten. He feels uh, powerless. He feels um, that that he's struggling in anguish. Uh, sorrow is filling uh, his heart. Uh, it's like God. Why? Why? Where are you, and why aren't you doing something? Why is this? Why am I struggling? Why this is way too hard? The enemy is the right there. It's not fair. I mean, I mean, the list goes on and on and on about the, the, the powerlessness that David here feels. Yeah, it's strange to me because isn't wasn't David the one that killed Goliath when nobody did anything? Like literally, they, they were like there for like forty days or however long the army and Saul, everyone was there and they were like shaking when Goliath was there. And all of a sudden this teenage kid, this, this shepherd boy comes up and like, yeah, I'm going to like take that guy's head off. 
like you he just like seemed like he exuded like he's this type a person exuded so much confidence but then it's like well what's happening here i don't get it like what i just don't like explicit i mean the things he said to goliath are not things you would like say at the table with with grandma you know they're they're brutal yeah they were really brutal and (laughs) and it's just like we're just seeing a different side of him right it's like there's there's maybe this uh victimhood in here in here because uh if you go back to like first Samuel and you read about his anointing and and when Samuel went to Jesse and Jesse had brought all his sons and Samuel thought it was going to be one of these uh, older sons who who yeah. looked like very kingly but he asked like isn't there is there anyone else you know because the Lord hasn't hasn't um chosen them and Jesse and this is what Jesse says there's there's a there's yet a younger one out in the field but I heard that that word younger actually can be translated worthless. Mm. So that's what his dad was kind of saying. Like, hey, there's that worthless one now mm. tending the sheep because that's not a yeah. not a very good. Not, it was not a, like a great job, right? To be the, the shepherd person just tending the sheep that was like you're with animals and stuff. But that's what I heard. So he could have had like this this wound in him of being like the worthless one, right? Being the runt of the family or being the mm. one who's always like passed over, looked over. And so I think like that's what God is trying to get at in his life. He's like just acting so uh, powerless. And so yeah. I'm not sure if uh, people in our audience um, have that uh, in their life, like or or maybe. Um, yeah, like if there's a story or something that, you know, of that exhibits this, because I think this is kind of I don't want this to go over people's head. I'm trying to think of like. Yeah. What would be a story of, of someone you know or someone you, that you've met that it kind of embodies what what David how David's acting this this powerless way of thinking? I remember um, having breakfast with this uh, woman. She had lost her husband a couple of I don't know months before, and it, it wasn't just me and her. It was me and a couple of other um, people, some of her her close friends and people supporting her. And uh, we were like trying to help her get her life in order, trying to help her like get a job because I think like her husband was the, the breadwinner and, and would bring home the bacon. But she, um, it was just like every everything we brought up in terms of like trying to help her. Hey, here's this opportunity. Have you tried this? Have you looked into that? Like everything that we tried to offer, it there was like some excuse or some reason why it just wasn't going to happen or it couldn't happen or just all of these maybe like excuses you would call it. And it just felt like there was just this burden or oppression of um, powerlessness over her, like just this weakness in her bones. And it was more than just like, wow, like the, the trauma of losing her husband. It was just like, it had her stuck in, in this rut, uh, just solutionless, I guess it, it, it's how she looked all through and through. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty terrible. I don't know if uh people in our chat are responding or if they if they know someone or have come across that kind of thinking in their life or if they try to help out a friend or someone and try to give them some at least some advice or things like that and and it just wasn't just wasn't helping or anything like that. I mean, uh we're waiting. We're waiting on the chat right here uh, for a couple of people. This is sad stuff. So I mean, yeah, you might be vulnerable if you're sharing. But thank you uh, for commenting in the chat. There's another um, another guy that uh, we both have, have, you know, worked with in the past who just a lot of 
maybe mental um, difficulties or uh, horror and tragedy and uh, trauma from his, his past. And it felt like he had fallen in love perhaps with this continual cycle of tragedy in his life. He had fallen in love with the story of trauma in his life to where it had rendered him powerless. You would see him in different circumstances and he was like, man, this guy is so good at X, Y, and Z. But when it comes to like personal relationships, like there's this, it's just a black hole of inability and powerlessness. Like it turns into like a, a four or five year old emotional level. Yeah. Yeah, this is super powerful. I mean, I mean, unfortunately, in ministry, we see this a lot. We see a lot of people and we try to help people that are just stuck, you know, and they're stuck in this victim victimology. They're stuck in this uh, victimhood, this powerless mindset. Even all of all of us, I think we have this to, to a degree. Right. I, this is something I really deal with and I really struggle with is not to just. Right. When when life when the pressure starts happening, when stress starts happening to just just go into that that helpless mentality of like i can't do anything i just want to sit around and you know watch netflix all day or i'm not gonna yeah i'm like i'm not gonna do anything i'm not gonna take care of myself i'm not going to eat right i'm not going to think right i'm not gonna just all these things it's like a spiraling uh effect well but it's, it's like bad. why yeah. me you know it's, that's the, the first thought is like why me right uh, Raquel has, has commented here. She said that every time she speaks with someone with depression, which is probably a, a lot, I know that's a huge issue in our culture today. She says that it's been like they actually think that they're worthless and nothing good will ever happen to them. Yeah. What do you, th- what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a deep root of shame right there when, um, you know, like guilt is when you've done something wrong, but shame is like you are something wrong and you just have that incredible shame and you just feel like nothing you do is ever i mean i just was uh, i literally was talking to someone for an hour and just trying to encourage him you know to he was looking at going to trade school he was like a lot of good things were happening in his life but because of just um he grew up in a family where everything that he said or everything that like kind of like everything that he mentioned or talked about his parents they always told him like he wouldn't be able to do it or they said that was a bad idea. So in a sense, like he, every time he, he wanted to or had aspirations, they would just always kind of um, kind of like rain on his parade. And so now he's like 26 and he's just um, he doesn't go to our church, but he's uh, he's just struggling. Right. With like even the even the desire or the the belief that he can actually finish trade school or do anything good in his life. And that's a really, really, we're seeing that with a lot of young people. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of millennials, a lot of generation people where they have this level of anxiety and depression. There's a record number of students who are dropping out of school or going on uh, leave because of this, because of mental uh, anxiety and things like that. It is so crazy, everyone. It's, it's so insane. That, um, this what what people are dealing with. It's a super complicated thing as well uh, with depression. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's a spiral. I think it's um. There's a lot that that feeds into it. Um, here we are on social media, and social media is one of the biggest culprits of um, propagating or or continuing the cycle of depression um, because we we see everyone's highlight reels from their life, and we we think we're like, man, like, oh man, I wish I was in Hawaii, or oh, I wish my life looked like that. And we see like the 
the mountaintop experiences that people have, the smiles, but we don't realize it right after those you know, pictures were taken, maybe they were fighting all the way home or whatever it was. There was a, just a, the, the difficulty that happened. So we're not really seeing reality. We're perhaps seeing a sham of reality and we go ahead and post a, a sham of our own reality uh, without that, that honesty. I'm not saying that we all do that, but I'm just saying that that, that is a an easy way to get depressed is just to, to be consumed fully consumed by social media or, or news media or outlets instead of like the word of god speaking to us i mean david here we've been exploring some like really somber stuff but it's gonna get better because there's always good news when it comes to god because hope always has the final word yeah i want to kind of look on that side i don't want to i don't want to like get too somber here because i do want to talk about and i want there are our listeners to think about like, how do we get out of this? Like, how do we go from powerless to powerful? And I'm going to share an awesome story with you later, but I just want to read this real quick of uh, David, because I really believe that there's something that, that happens um, with David. Like there's something like a shift in his mind. Like all of it was pretty much complaining and powerless. But in the last part, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love, right? He's choosing to trust God. He's choosing that. I'm making a decision right now. I'm not just being helpless. I'm actually making a, a mental, uh, conscious decision to, to put my full trust in God's unfailing love, that God's not going to fail me. And he continues, he says, I will rejoice because you have rescued me. Maybe he's thinking back of the past, of the, all the different times that God has gotten him through right all the times that god has warned him or god has kept his enemies from taking his life or even how he was able to slay the giant or even the times when he was a a shepherd boy right in facing the lion or facing the bear or being at night i mean that is scary like thinking about being a a teenager and sleeping out in the wilderness and hearing a bear hearing a lion you're on your own out there that, that must have been like thinking about all the times that God has gotten through those scrapes. So he's like beginning to encourage himself in the Lord. And also, too, I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. I was kind of looking at that word sing, and it was almost like this picture of, you know, someone walking and, and being in a joyful mood or like a minstrel walking, like, like you would think you would, you would be uh, dancing and singing. It's like he's beginning to hope again. He's beginning to, to, um, Praise God because he knows like, man, like this is, this is a temporary thing happening in my life. But I, my question is for, for, uh, for us is how is David acting, uh, powerful? How, how is he doing that? What are some of the things that we, we see despite all the things happening? Cause a lot of things are going wrong, but he's choosing something else right now. Yeah. I, I've been, uh, <clears throat> ex- you know, focusing a lot lately on what it means to trust and where that comes from. Because here in that line on verse five, we see, but I trust in your unfailing love. And I think that's the basis of the beginning of, of becoming powerful instead of powerless. Um, I think it, it, it happens through our actions, consistent trusting actions that that the root of that trust is is how we behave that that david is going to behave that he's going to be consistent in his belief in god's unfailing love that the hebrew is chesed and it's like this uh this love that is uh unfailing but it's steadfast it's a covenantal type of 
of love. And it's, it's required through this relational uh, congruence that he is going to experience God's unfailing love. He's going to trust and behave relationally congruent, meaning that, that he's going to be the same in every situation when times are good, when times are bad, he's going to see his relationship and trust and belief in God as something worth living for something to be consistent and hope in during the difficult times. Yeah. I, I know there's so many people, um, you know, I was thinking of a time in my life uh, where I was hiking and I was just dealing with the the sense of like, man, I don't think I'm going to love again. Right. I went out, had a, a bad breakup and it'd been many years and I hadn't really dated anyone. And, and I don't know why this came to memory, but I think maybe someone, someone listening or someone, this, this may be for you, but yeah, I just remember saying out loud, I will love again. Right. And at that moment, you know, and God does this once in a while, there's like a butterfly. It was like a really beautiful scene, but I really felt like that was, you know, speaking that out, like declaring that was so powerful. And I felt like God heard that and I heard that and it gave me hope. Right. And here I am like 21 days getting married and, and it coming true. But just thinking about that, right? There's some, there's, there's people here that we, we get stuck in that, that mindset of like, man, I'm, I'm never, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. It's not going to happen for me. And what happens is that the fear becomes so great. We don't take those risks, right? We, we, we maybe we, we still, we don't take those risks and we just live in, um, kind of the treadmill existence, right? Um, a cool story of, I think of someone that I knew in Slovakia who had a disability. It wasn't a mental disability. It, it kind of affected him physically. I don't really know what it was called or what it was like, but you know, everyone told me, oh, he has like a disability. But after getting to know him for a little bit, I realized that he was quite capable. He was pretty sharp. He was able to do, uh, be, you know, do some physical things more than what uh, he thought he could do. And the problem was, is that everyone told him that he was disabled, right? Or that he had this label on him. And I don't, you know, I didn't want him to, um, I don't want to assume, but I also felt like just from him telling it that he seemed like he had a, a mother that was overprotective too and, and did a lot of things for him and didn't want him to like get hurt or to risk or do anything like that. But the, the story is, um, we're going to this hotel and, called Hotel Perman. It's like this amazing hotel with like a pool and they have this, you know, couple story slide. I forget how, how tall the slide is, but he, he was telling us that he didn't know how to swim. So he didn't want to go to the pool. He just wanted to stay there. And so we're like convincing him like, no, like you're going to, we'll teach you to swim or we'll teach you all these things. Like just trust us. And so we like, we were able to like get him to, to go into the pool all these things, but he was still scared of the water slide, which you had to like walk up a, a few flights of stairs and they had this like two water slide going down this. I mean, this hotel is awesome. Um, and I remember him being so afraid, right? He was just so afraid to do this. This was like a huge step for him because, you know, his whole life he's told he's disabled, you know, he's not going to take these risks or he's going to get hurt. And we, I don't know how we did that. We were just like on him, like, dude, no, you're going to do it. You're going to love it. It's going to be so awesome. And, uh, and this is scary because he doesn't know how to swim. So he's going to be going through this dark tube and in the water and who knows if he's going to drown. And so we get to the top and he gets there and he's, and he's like, Oh no, I don't think I can do it. I don't think I can do it. And because I was trying to get him to go before me, I'll be, you know, I'm just going to go right after you. And 
but he's like, no, no, you go first, you go first. And I'm like, okay, I'll go first, but I'll be down there waiting for you, you know, I'll help you. And so I go down the slide and I didn't expect, I didn't expect him to do it. I thought he was just going to walk down the stairs, but I, I just hear someone screaming in the slide. He's like, ah, and then, you know, he just went down the slide and then into my arms. Cause I didn't want him to drown. You know, I had to kind of carry him, but it was just like that moment, right. That I, I live for, I live for these moments, right. Where someone, um, this might not have been a scary thing for most people, but for him, this was a, a huge challenge in his life. And it was just that, that little, it's just those little, um, it's just breaking away those powerless mindsets, right? It's just chipping away at that mindset one thing at a time. And I hope, you know, he's doing more things and he's realizing that he can do um, more, but it's just chipping away that, that mindset, right? I'm powerless. I'm weak. I, I can't do, I can, I'm not going to take the risk. I'm scared. And yet he, he did it. And I just love that story, you know, because it, I'm sure it probably, I don't know if it was life changing for him, but for me, I just like live for those moments and, and see that. And so I don't know if anybody has a story uh, they'd like to share, uh, or someone you know that went from being powerless to powerful or uh, a shift in their mind as well. Jim Rushing talked about living with an attitude of gratitude. And, and Brenda followed that up by saying that a speaker that she listened to said that when you feel angry or sad, turn your feelings to gratitude because you can't be sad and grateful at the same time. It, it will change your mind. It reminds me um, of a tool of, of working with people sometimes who are, are dealing with, you know, depression or anxiety or whatever it is, like just the feeling of like helplessness or powerlessness. Um, often what we'll do is we'll do like a gratitude list. Hey man, like write down 10 things that you are grateful for in your life. And maybe that's a, a positive thing to do right now in the middle of COVID-19 quarantine continuing on for like what we're at, like 131 days now. But it's like, how, how do we continue to be grateful? And when you have that whole list of like maybe 10 different things in your life, and it changes your perspective. It changes your mindset. Just like we saw with David, his his mindset changes, even though we didn't know anything about the external situation changing. Like he goes from lamenting and sadness, somehow he makes it to praise because because something has changed inside of him. Not not externally, not in the outside situation, but something inside has changed. Yeah. So I'd love to hear more what you guys have to say about that um jeffrey you've got some great wisdom and experience here man i'm i'm learning you know i'm i'm learning this whole thing you guys because like i remember there was a time in my life where i didn't want to take risks or do things you know and especially being single you know i'll talk to the single crowd for a second but i remember being single and just thinking like oh you know my life hasn't started yet and i should i can't do things and and I just remember hearing some a speaker say like, hey, like, you need to start doing those things now, right? Do those things now that you want to do. Don't wait for someone else. And so I started going to conferences. I started, uh, I went like camping, like doing this, like 40, I did this 40 mile backpacking trip, which was crazy. I don't know why I did that, but like, I would never do that stuff because I thought, well, you know, I wasn't worth it or I'm not going with anyone else. And, and so, yeah, like I did something like that and. I started, you know, even going to movies on my own or go like go to I, I wouldn't even go to a restaurant on my own. But I started doing certain things like that. Mm -hmm. And it was just almost like, hey, I need to like start doing these things for myself. I need to start like living my life and and taking some risks. Right. 
And I just, I just know that there's, there's people out there. Um, maybe you have a business um, that, yeah, maybe you don't know what to do right now in this moment. Like, am, am I going to close up or is this thing going to wipe me out? But yeah, seek the Lord, seek the Lord for that. I remember when um, Tara and I were doing premarital counseling, uh, there was some list that I had to fill out, like, 10 things I, I love about Tara or something like that. And I talked to some guys, some Christian dudes who were like, Oh, you should like, you know, write like you complete me. And I, I thought about that and I'm like, no, I don't think so. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to, to have that. Not that, that she is not compatible and that we don't love each other and everything like that. But it's like the idea that, that anybody is incomplete without another person, not that we don't need community, but is, is kind of wrong. I think in a sense, because like, you're okay who you are by yourself in who you are because in your relationship with God, that that's what's most important. Like, and I think finding out, like you were talking about being okay with who you are and in the situation that you're in. I remember a professor in, in, in college once, once told us, he's like, you guys are not preparing for life. So often we think, Oh, I got to get through this and this and this, and then I get married and then I have kids. And then, then I'm going to start living. And then before you know it, your life has passed by. But like, no, you're not preparing for life. You are actually living like right now through this. So open your eyes and don't miss it uh, because it's going to go fast. Yeah, I feel like that's the Lord, man. You guys, we got to learn. We got to live again. You know, if you're in a spot where you're hopeless or you lost someone or things are not going good, it's like we have to live again, right? We have to learn to live again, learn to dream again, learn to Maybe take a risk again. Do something that you, you love to do. Um, don't just sit there, right? That's the worst thing you can do um, when you're depressed, when we're depressed, is just sit there and and just mull, you know, mull over what's going wrong, all those things. But do something, you know? Maybe, <laughs> I don't know, like maybe, yeah, get some takeout or something or go on a, a hike or, or go to a conference or, I know we can't go to a conference now. But, <laughs> yeah, but like, Go to the beach or something. Watch a sunset. Do something. Don't just don't just sit there. That's like the worst thing. And I know for me that helps me when when I'm when I'm feeling depressed or things are not going well. It's like I need to like actively get outside of myself and actively get outside of you know my brain. And so, should we open it up here for for some questions that people might have related to this? Yeah. Of uh, what to do when when life hurts. I think that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. If anybody has any questions or uh, feedback. There were a couple of things in the chat. Uh, Brenda was saying that she was scared of the haunted mansion at Disneyland. Kind of a creepy ride, right? But uh, her friend talked her into going on it. And now that's her favorite ride. That's awesome, Brenda. Ra Raquel was saying it's a little lighthearted, but she used to be afraid of the dark. And then she realized that her little brother was afraid of it too. So she decided to get over it to be able to help him. That's not a little thing. That's a big thing. I know. But yeah, any questions on uh, the subject matter tonight? We will um, hopefully just have more more questions to ask you guys. Um, Kyle says fast and pray. I don't know what that means, but just fast and pray. Like, uh, like fast and furious? Like I think so. I think it's like a new, it's the 10th one. They have like nine of those movies, right? Oh, yeah. I don't think you can feel bad if you're going 140 miles an hour. I don't think you can have time to feel sorry for yourself. <laughs> no, that's a good one. Fast and pray. You know, maybe you need to fast for some direction. Yeah, we got a few more minutes here. So 
any kind of questions, any kind of uh, feedback or things like that, we want to engage with you all. It's not just the Jeremy and Jeff party. I know. We could go on and on talking about Slovakia and the good old days. Oh, man. Man. Yeah. Slovakia was scary in the dark. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Man. But I don't know. I I think that these are useful, the the Psalms of lament and experiencing just it's life. It's reality. Uh, We were talking earlier about I think you called it Christian uh, denial where it's like our situation. We try to pretend like everything's okay because it's supposed to be because we're Christian. Right. But I I was telling you, you guys, uh, I think yesterday about just um, feeling really awkward at a funeral for it was a 28 year old i didn't even know who he was but uh, i was playing music at the funeral and um his mom was like had this plastered on smile that was like what and she's like oh he's in a better place and blah 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 i'm like yeah but you're you're the mom and they're playing some song as as the procession leads out and she's like trying to like hold this smile the whole entire time it just felt so inauthentic that like what are we doing like like life sucks sometimes life is hard sometimes and god god knows that and so when we're honest about that somehow something changes and shifts inside of us you know i don't know what was going on inside of her but obviously uh it you know it, yeah. maybe maybe she didn't move through it so fast but I, it's hard to hard to imagine that why do we why do we do that why do we pretend i mean i even heard you know i knew uh there was a pastor at a church in Southern California. He took his life. He was a young man. He was like my age and had a young, had a beautiful wife, beautiful family. And and then she like posts on her um, social media. And I'm not trying to judge her or anything, but she was just like, oh, you know, like you're in a better place now. And I'm so happy that it was almost like, yeah, it almost felt like inauthentic to me. I'm like, man, like I would be so heartbroken if i just had a spouse that took their own life like i would be angry you know i would be upset like you know we don't have to pretend like anger is okay you guys like being angry or being sad or these emotions aren't emotions aren't are neither good nor bad they they just are and we have to experience those we have to validate those we have to accept whatever it is that we're going through but we don't have to be led by them there's a difference between accepting them, a difference between feeling them, a difference, you know, between all of that, validating them, but then letting it lead our, our life is, is not, you know, that's where it gets kind of wrong. But I see a lot of Christians, we do that. We just like want to pretend or get over it. And I call that Christian denial because we even learn how to use language or scriptures that that support that, right? Like, oh, yeah, God is good all the time and brother or, you know, like God, you know, I don't know. Like I'm trying to think what what people say. The cliches that what are what are some of the cliches that we people say when it Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Yeah. Oh yeah. Before I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not harm you and all that stuff. But then the people are like walking into exile at the at the very moment. They're experiencing hardship like no other. Yeah. Experienced before. Or you know, all things will work together for good, brother. Just don't worry. You know, you'll be you know you'll be fine or things like that and. So the point is not just like make fun of it. The, the point is that in God, we have that. And it's okay to be honest about the situation that we may be going through. Like like Jim said in the chat that things that made him uncomfortable or anxious when he was younger no longer affect me. Because I, I think that the way that he's experienced God in his life has, has changed how he perceives himself and sees the world and, and all of that. It, it, he thinks it's the wisdom of the age and the peace 
of the Lord. And then also another one the the mom might have been in shock. I was in shock for eight months when her dad passed away. Yeah. So I think she probably was the referring to the, the mom that I was talking about in the story. It's difficult, you know, to understand. And, um, you know, it, it's hard when we experience hardship and death and dying, it feels just like someone's on a, a vacation, long extended one. But yeah. The point is just to be, I guess, honest and real. Um, and raw and and we don't always have to have the solutions but uh, we have the god who does right yeah exactly i think yeah as we wrap up um any final thoughts or things you'd like to share about I that i think they're done dude i think they're like over over you and i okay <laughs> well, yeah i hope you guys are doing well hope that uh you know yeah that that you share what's going on you know, have someone, you know, have someone or share with us or anyone that, that you can. And so we're about to sign off, you know, the Jeremy and Jeff show <laughs> for one week. So, yeah. Thanks for uh, spending time with us and letting us take over, uh, you know, on, uh, on here on Wednesday night. Thank you for all your thoughts and also your vulnerability and answering. So we will see you on Sunday. Right. See you guys then. All right.